May, I'm a little caught off guard because um, I, I've never, <laughs> I don't want to start, open up with crying. <laughs> do it, do it. When I, the Holy Spirit is just like, I, that song, Rise Up, was a song that I listened to by myself. When my husband was getting treatment and I would <clears throat> feel so alone and it was, I wasn't expecting that. I didn't know that that song was going to be there and that's something I've always held with myself and I'm just like, man, Lord, you hear us. <laughs> like I'll rise up aside from the ache. Anyways, hi, I'm Emily. <laughs> and now I'm all over the place, can't find my notes. They did that on purpose, trying to mess me up. Hold on one second. Okay, so um, thank you, Natalia. And I just want to say to Pastor Stacy, um, I, 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 being at Connect is like coming home to Pastor M and I. And I just wanted to say that Stacy had, you know, you talked about pushing through the tough seasons of your life and everything. And I, when you were saying, you know, it can bless other people, you have personally blessed me in so many ways. Like, honestly, the first time, I'm a very like closed person. Like I, I don't share with a lot of people. I'm just pretty, I quiet. I have a very small circle that I trust. And the first time I met Stacy, oh my goodness, I just let it all out. Like the crazy parts, the parts that like, and I left and I was like, she's never going to talk to me again. <laughs> and if she does call me, it's probably because she's a little crazy too. So then she did call me and I was like, great. So thank you. No, but really thank you for, you're so special to me. And I'm honored to be here um, for you. We're so grateful for you and Pastor Derek. Um, and I want to give a shout out to my mother. <laughs> I love my mom. I'm glad you came here today. My mom, Barbara, uh, she ended up texting me a few weeks ago and told me that she was coming. And I was like, really, you are? We can come together. And she's like, no, I'm going with my friends. And I was like, oh. <laughs> There was a time that you thought I was cool to hang with. Now she's going with her runs. No. But I, I love my mom. Thank you for coming here. My mom has seen me through a lot, and she has always stayed by my side. Um, so I, most of you know who I am, but just in case you don't, I wanted to put a picture of my family up on the screen. Um, ain't they cute? They cute. Uh, my oldest, Ileana, the one that's closest to me, she, she just turned 22. She's in the process. She's finishing up her degree in communications. Evan is 16, and that's my little Ray Ray. She used to think I was cute, too, but now she's, you know, she's moving on. So that's why I got two puppies, but that's a, a story for another time. But, you know, that, that the picture of my family, like, I look at that picture, and, like, that's my miracle, that's my miracle. I'm going to share some of, of my story with you today. Do we have the other picture with me and M? That, <laughs> that is me and some of your pastor. <laughs> I don't know how you feel about that, but um, that picture 
Um, there's been a lot of mountains that we've had to climb to get to the picture that we saw before, but that picture was taken. My boyfriend at the time was in prison. That picture was taken in prison. Um, I was a single mother to our oldest daughter, Ileana, that we just talked about. Um, but I want to talk about her today. In the mountains that she's had to climb, and I, I'm just so grateful to be here um, so, you know, we, we've climbed some mountains, and um, in my life, like, I've had an ongoing, I, I struggled from the time I can remember being young with anxiety and depression, and I hung around with really smart people, but I struggled in school, and I was the only girl, uh, I have two older brothers, um, you know, so it was like just this thing that the enemy kind of played on me throughout my whole life that I just never kind of felt like I fit in. And it wasn't because of not having great parents. It wasn't because I, I had my parents just celebrated, well, actually, they just celebrated their 51st wedding anniversary. Um, it, but it was something inside of me that the enemy just used over time to just continue to be like, ah, you know, you're, you're not enough. You're not there. So here I am, and I'm, I'm going through school, and I'm angry, and I'm struggling in that, and I don't feel, ended up getting into a relationship with a guy that was just not treating me well. And I, I, I was in a position where I felt so bad about myself that I just figured I'll take any attention I can get. So I settled in that area. Um, and then fast forward, 19 years old, uh, my new boyfriend, um, found, I found out that I was four months pregnant when I found out. Um, and the day that we went to go get our ultrasound, he was arrested that afternoon. We left the ultrasound. Um, and it was maybe an hour later that I got a call from a coworker saying that he had been arrested. And that began a journey with us um, that God helped us climb through and climb the mountain or whatever, but we, so we ended up, there's so much, there's so much, I'm trying to like give you the short version, um, but ultimately, my husband, uh, my boyfriend at the time, went to prison, hence the reason why we've been together, we've been married 18 years, but our daughter's 22, um, that's always like, you could always see Christians doing their math, they're like, <laughs> something's not right. So I'll just call that out. Um, but he, he ended up going to prison. I had my, my, my mother was with me in the room when I had her. Um, and I was a single mom for a few years. And Emmy got saved in prison. And um, sometimes it's funny when we go to these places <clears throat> and speak. I, I, or even in our church, sometimes the people don't really hear me talk that much. I think they think, like, Emmy went to prison, Emmy went to Bible college, Emmy met Emily in Bible college, you know, like, <laughs> and they don't realize that Emily has a past too. So um, I was there, I saw the whole transformation, he got saved in, in prison, he, I would call and he would minister to me all the time and I was like, dude, shut up. <laughs> Seriously, we had fights. Like the girl with the mic in her hand right now, I remember one time I was, I was going to visit him, and um, he uh, gave me a Bible, and I picked it up and threw some words that I shouldn't have said and threw the Bible across the prison visiting room and stormed out. Yeah, that's the pastor's wife at this point. <laughs> But I'm sharing this with you to let you know that sometimes we focus so much on 
you know, our Instagram pictures and the, the, uh, the testimony at the end that we don't see that there is a real a fight and a struggle in the middle of it. And God can change any situation, even with a girl that decided to throw a Bible across the room. So that is like an expedited version. Um, and, 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 oh, and to make it even better, I love this part. So my boyfriend's in prison. Both my brothers are correctional officers. Family dinners were so much fun. (laughs) But man, God is good because you know what happened? One of my brothers got saved. He's the one that when Emmy first came home, he was like, hey, come to church with us. He ended up was our Excel Kids director after we launched the church. And um, that is a lot of detail. Um, But... I just want to say that even when I became a Christian, so it was still a process for me. It wasn't like an overnight, um, like, man, you know, sometimes I think people get saved and we're just like, they should get it. They should be on this level. They should whatever. No, they don't. Like, I remember I still had that, the struggle, like, with the with depression. I had struggle with anxiety. So then I wanted to be a, the, the good Christian girl, do all the right things. And I got around some or heard some teachings. There was somebody that ministered specifically in my life, and it was a really shame-based when it came to expressing what you're going through. And I remember there was a one sentence, and I know it wasn't her as much as it was an insecurity in myself, and that sentence struck me in a way. Um, but I had said, you know, I'm feeling so depressed. And she said, well, you're feeling so depressed because you just said you're feeling so depressed. And I was like, okay. I'm really like, okay, that's the problem. So that led to the first probably 10 years of me being saved. Um, And for those of you who I just don't want to assume everybody understands the the term, for those of that accepted Jesus into your life. So for the first time, for the first 10 years after that, um, I, I was like, okay, I can't talk about it. If I, if I say having, that I'm struggling with anxiety, if I say I'm struggling with depression, if I say that, you know, I'm struggling with fear, then that they're going to think I don't have faith. They're going to think that I'm not a good Christian. They're going to think I'm not. So it, it put me in this shame cycle of guilt and fear and shove it down, and I became professional at making things look really great. You know, so everybody on the outside was like, oh, you know, she's got it together. And no, I was, I was dying inside. I was dying inside. So in, in looking back, what I did what, through those circumstances in my own insecurity, the things that I made up in my own mind, I really adopted this lie that I didn't have problems. I was the problem. I didn't have problems. I was the problem. There was something wrong with me, why I felt like this, and everybody else was great, and everybody else looked good, and it must be me, and I couldn't process it. I couldn't talk about it, and the one thing that I've learned overall, and and I'm telling you, obviously, I came up here, and I was emotional. It kind of set me off. I'm not going to apologize for my emotions because I'm over that because I was about to just say I'm sorry, but I, I, there's so much, there's so much in between there too. I didn't just come home and get married and things were great. We struggled. Like when you were talking about the, the finances and the financial struggles, it's true. You have an appreciation. Like I look at that family picture and I'm like, that's my miracle. Thank God for the struggle. There are certain things that I've gone through that I'm just like, I never thought in a million years that I would thank God for being a single mother and having a man, my boyfriend in prison. But man, I get to minister to people that a lot of people don't get. And I find myself now saying, 
man, thank you for that, Lord. Like, that's the, it's the craziest thing. But one of the things that I learned, um, and even recently with my husband, who, that's a whole other story, but my husband, we launched a church. The pressure was real. And one day, I ended up, three years into it, I ended up getting an email that said um, that my husband was Googling pastors who commit suicide. Um, cause we have accountability software on all of our laptops, which everybody should just a plug. Um, so I did what I do. I called Verna and Stacy and, and they helped us walk us through that, but he went away for treatment. He was out of the pulpit for seven months. This is three years ago. This is recent. Um, and through that whole situation where God is developing him and, and working through, he had a lot of childhood trauma. My husband, if his story, if his life was a, a movie, we'd be like, that ain't real. Like, it, it's crazy. So through watching him process his trauma and then having to realize, oh, I have all these traumas that I've pushed down, I've learned that if we don't process our pain, our pain will process us. If we don't process our pain, our pain will process us. And as a society in general, we don't truly process our pain. What we celebrate is, oh, the people who can check their problems at the door. Oh, you know, people who can compartmentalize. They're strong. You know, you don't think about it. Don't. And we celebrate it. And, it. and especially with women, what do you hear when you see a little boy crying? What do you hear? Oh, oh you're acting like a girl. You see uh, uh, kids playing on the, specifically little boys, if they're playing on uh, a game, uh, a sport, and they make a mistake or whatever, what do people say? Oh, you're playing like a girl. And we can say that it's a joke, but it communicates something. As girls, as little, uh, we're communicating to our daughters something deeper. This is the, way, the reason why we don't look in a mirror and criticize our bodies while our children are looking at us. We're communicating something to them. Even if we say, oh, it's not this, that big of a deal, when girls hear Oh, don't play, don't make mistakes. Oh, he made a mistake. He's playing like a girl. Ooh, I can't make a mistake. Ooh, I can't cry. I can't, whatever. So we're, we're communicating these things and we say it's a joke, but it's not. And we are so out of touch with our, our emotions that we often label it everything but what it is, right? So you can be, you know, going through a, a pattern in your life that you just can't break out of this emotional cycle and these, they're symptoms of a deeper problem, but we call it labels. So if, what are some symptoms of having unprocessed emotions? That's what I want to talk about in the beginning is unprocessed emotions. Unprocessed, symptoms of unprocessed emotions are anger, resentment, depression, anxiety, addictions, outbursts, controlling behaviors, perfectionists, repeatedly entering toxic relationships friends and dating wise, the symptoms are so important because as a society, we'll label symptoms of deeper issues and focus on, oh, well, that, that's just my depression. That's just my anxiety. That's just my, and we're not labeling what it is so we can get at the root of what it is. So no, it's unprocessed trauma. It's unprocessed trauma. It's not anxiety. It's not depression. Although those are symptoms it's what's underneath. So we're focusing on, okay, I just need to tra- treat my anxiety. I just need to treat the, the, the depression. I just need to treat, uh, you know, controlling behaviors or, no, what's underneath it? Addictions are only pain management. Let's be real. You don't want to feel what you feel. You don't want to process the trauma. 
I tell my kids all the time, don't you dare ever judge someone who is, is wrapped up in addiction. All of us are one decision away from being wrapped up in, in addiction. It's pain management. It's there to numb. The symptoms are signals. And that's what I want to encourage you today is that we need to look at the symptoms and just not stop there. We need to look at this. Why am I feeling anxious? One thing I've learned, when things come up, when emotions come up, they come up to come out. The enemy has lied to us and said, oh, nope, shove it back down there. Don't talk about it. They're going to think you're not a Christian of faith. They're going to think that you're crazy. Nobody talks about it. I've learned the more I talk about it, the more I have girls coming up to me going, me too. Me too. Me too. I used to look at people who were bold and they were, you know, um, just loud. And they come in, you know, people that their personality enters the room before they come in. <laughs> some, some people are just like that. But a lot of times I would look at that and I would say, oh, man, they're so confident. I've learned that a lot of people will hide behind that. They have their, their, their personality enters the room to scare people away to make them back up. So the loudest person isn't really the most confident person, the person I've learned some of the most broken people are so professional at making it look good. You got people in the church that are like, man, I want to be like them. As leaders, we hear stories and we know what's going on behind the scenes. Some of us are just professional at making things look a certain way. So we have to start looking at what's behind them. We have to stop numbing. We need to, we need, how do we numb? We numb in all different ways. It's not just alcohol and prescription medication. It's uh, Facebook. <laughs> Anybody ever been on social media and it's like four hours later and you're like, what, where did my day go? You know, we shop, we drink, we sleep around. Take too much anxiety medication. I'm going to tell you right now, you know what I'm seeing in, in, uh, in the church right now is there is an increase in women that are addicted, addicted to pornography. Some people just got really uncomfortable. <laughs> the fastest growing rate of people addicted to pornography are women in the church. It's happening. One in ten women are addicted to pornography in the church. It's a way to numb. And then it, you end up in this uh, shame spiral. And then because we're not processing our pain, we're not processing our emotions, we turn around and it's true, hurt people hurt people. So now you've got all these wounded people. Everybody's wounded. Everybody's walking around. Nobody's talking about what the real issue is because, oh, I don't want people to think I'm human. I don't want people to think that, oh, she's got issues. Like, hey, I'm going to be up here and just put all my issues out there. <laughs> Brene Brown said this. She said, it's easier to cause pain to someone else than to process your own pain. I just want you to think about that for a minute. The next time you're, you see somebody and, you know, they, they, they don't wave when they cut you off, but they do something else, you know, like you see a certain finger or whatever. <laughs> Maybe, you know, if we stop for a minute and be like, that had nothing to do with me. There's a deeper issue. You don't just walk around angry all the time. You don't walk around with an attitude telling everybody, giving pieces of your mind away. I love what my husband said. Maybe the issue is you keep giving pieces of your mind away. You don't have to just telling everybody what they need to do and whatever. Like, it's all unprocessed pain. And one of the things that so frustrates me today right now is we're living in this time where, you know, everything's about authenticity and vulnerability and self-care. I'm all for self-care. But let me tell you something. There's a thin line between self-care and being selfish. I am all for being positive. 
there is something wrong with the level that we've gone with positivity. Only the world can take something called positive and turn it toxic. Because what we're doing now is we're setting, a, we're setting stand, standards in this toxic positivity that is actually driving us deeper into our shame. Because we are saying, oh, you know what? Um, no drama for me. I'm not letting anybody in with drama. Uh, you're human. You're going to meet somebody else who's human. They got drama. You know, one of the, the lines that drives me, it actually sparked a fight between me and my husband. I'm just putting it up. Just putting it out there, all right. Yes, we fight. Um, <laughs> it was this phrase, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but I would get so bothered when, when they would say, you know, nobody can make you feel a way without your permission. You tell me that to the wife who's, who just learned out her husband had an affair. You tell me to the woman who just lost her son to addiction. You tell me that to, to somebody who's, you know, has a, has a child out there, just lost their job, who just, no, you know what, we're human. Things happen that hurt us. When we say things like, um, you know, nobody can hurt you without your permission, what we're saying is, okay, if I feel something, there's something wrong with me. Yeah. No, it hurts. Yeah. It hurts. We got to stop these blanket blanket statements where we're setting standards so high and it's crazy you don't think that positivity would be negative but it really has they've turned it now into a billion dollar industry and now all of a sudden what we should be saying boundaries which in a, a in the proper context are there to protect us but not isolate us now all of a sudden everybody and their mother got boundaries because they want to stay in the house or they don't want to push themselves into being uncomfortable we have to understand that as Christians, yes, self-care is important. I am all for it. I actually didn't leave my house the other day for like three days in a row. Last night, my husband took me out. He was like, you need to get out the house. So I am not saying that self-care isn't important, but there is this, this feeling of like self-righteousness. Like, you know, everything's about the selfie and self-care and self-whatever. And, and, and I'm just sitting here saying, if we are called as Christians to reach the world, to, to reach broken people, we're going to be uncomfortable. Don't buy into this lie that, oh, if it feels, if I feel bad, if I feel uncomfortable, that there's something, there's something wrong. I, I can't go there. No, you be, if you want to grow, get used to feeling uncomfortable. Get used to going around people that, that, that push your buttons to see what's in, oh, what do I have to work on? We can't isolate ourselves. And again, I'm not saying I am all for boundaries. Boundaries has saved me. <laughs> boundaries keeps me healthy in ministry. But there's, it's, it's there to protect. It's not there to isolate. It doesn't mean, oh, there's drama over there. I'm not going to go. What if God is calling you to the drama? I don't know why I just focus on that so much. It just drives me like Toxic positivity has become denial. Really. You can't say that I'm broken. I can't, oh, because, you know, good vibes only. Okay, I get it. But, like, you're human. You're living. Um, there's going to be some other, like, if you can figure out the good vibes only, always hit me up. <laughs> I want to know. I want to know. It's victim blaming. I've seen arguments in when my husband and I are sitting with a couple and, you know, the wife or the husband will completely disrespect the other one and the other one's in tears and the response is well you can't feel that way unless you allow yourself to I'm just like oh man lord help me <laughs> we're getting a little too attached to the Instagram memes you know what I mean 
But what, so one thing that I want to, what I want to say, what uh, Stacy had talked about before is that, you know, there's going to be mountains and the reality is, is that pain is a promise. We don't want to talk about it, but it's a promise. You know, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have overcome the world. Those, you know, one of the scriptures that really sticks out to me every once in a while when, I, when I'm going through a hard time, but in a specific season was those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return the, with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Like, if you're sowing with tears and then you reap, when you're sowing with tears, you're pushing through some stuff. You're continuing on. You're not just sitting, uh, you know, like, what, were you, what was the term you kept saying? Comfy, cushy? Cushy, comfy. I was like, I got to remember that. I got cushy, comfy. But when you're, when you're pushing through tears, that, that means it doesn't look like you've come through it yet. But you're keeping on. You're sowing in tears. You know, I, I just think so many of us, we feel pain. We're like, this isn't right. And we quit. What happens if your blessing is on the other side of pushing through the season? Okay, you know what? It's okay to cry, but don't stop. Don't stop pushing through. And sometimes I think the enemy knows that all he has to do to some of us is apply a little bit of pressure. He's like, oh, oh, she's getting too close to what, you know, her purpose is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just make her frustrated because she quits. We have, to be, we have to come to the conclusion that pain is going to come. And we have to come to the conclusion that we have to identify the pain, process the pain, not numb or ignore it. But we have to say, okay, yeah, this is tough, but you know what? I'm going to push through it. Because on the other end of my testimony is going to bless somebody else. On the other end of this, I want to learn some things about myself that maybe I don't know. There are times, like, I'm, I work so hard right now on self-awareness that there are times that I've, I'll stop now where before I used to react and be like, what is wrong with her? Now I sit there and I'm like, ooh, ooh, what was that? I didn't know that was in there somewhere. Like, I got I to gotta dig a little deeper. So I really believe, um, I'm going to take you through um, Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I'm gonna, I want to read through the entire, like, uh, Matthew 26, 36 to 46. I'm going to read in its entirety. And then I'm going to pull out, I believe uh, that, that God showed me that there is literally a step-by-step process into how to to process your emotions in this. But we're going to go ahead and read through, and then I'm going to take you through those points. Um, It says, uh, Matthew 26, 36 through 46. I'm going to read out of the Amplified um, version. But it says, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he told his disciples, sit down here while I go over yonder and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to show grief and distress of mind and was deeply depressed. This is Jesus. Then he said to them, my soul, he said to them, my soul is very sad and deeply grieved so that I am almost dying of sorrow. Don't you ever buy the idea that we don't have a God that that can sympathize with how we feel? And going a little, uh, uh, then he said to them, my soul is very sad and deeply grieved so that I am almost dying of sorrow. Stay here and keep awake and keep watch with me. And going a little further, he threw himself upon the ground on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, not what I desire, but as you will desire. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, what? Are you so utterly unable to stay awake and keep watch with me? Anybody have some friends you get frustrated with? You're like, dude, I texted you an hour ago. Why didn't you respond back? I needed you. 
All of you must keep awake, give strict attention, be cautious and active, and watch and pray that you may not come into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass by unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were so weighed down with sleep. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time using the same words. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping? Three times. <laughs> Friends keep sleeping on them. Three times. Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of especially wicked sinners whose way or nature is in, to act in opposition of God. Get up, let us going. My betrayer is at hand. What I wanted to do is walk through this because I think really God models such a, a I don't know where it's gotten lost that we have a God who is crying out. In frustration. He, we got a God that's people around him are disappointing him. We have a God that is saying, it, God, how many times do we question what we're going through? God said, if you can take this from me, like Jesus, the son of God, <laughs> like I find comfort in that. Like he was like, um, if there's any possibility <laughs> that you can deliver me out of this, I'll take it. Like how many times have we said that? So I, I just want to say, I was, I was talking to a good friend of mine. I was, oh, when you were talking about Everest first, I was like, I hope nobody in here climbed Mount Everest. But I have a, I have a friend that uh, climbs Mount Kilimanjaro. So I called her up. I was like, listen, talk to me about this because I'm never doing it. So what did you get out of it? And, um, she, and she walked through a few things. And the first point, when we look at Matthew 26, 36, it says, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he told his disciples, sit down here while I go over, over yonder and pray. And I wanted to say the first point is that you got to get away and pray. You got to prepare. When I was talking to um, my friend, I said, you know, tell me one of the things you learned. She said, well, you don't just go and decide to climb Mount, uh, Mount Kilimanjaro. You got to prep. You got to plan. You have to have the right equipment. You have to make sure that you're training for months in advance. You have to make sure you have the right people around. You got to make, so you, you don't just do it. One of the things, one of the mistakes that I see all the time, and I know I was, I was guilty of it at one point too, is that, you know, pain has a way of focusing you. And I think it becomes a culture that, when we're going through something, oh, we are in church. We're at every prayer meeting. We are reading our Bible. We got worship music pumping. And then all of a sudden, you know, it, it, you go into this valley and we stop being alert. So we, we, we end up reacting and not responding to the pain. We don't prepare in seasons of calmness. We get lazy right? One of the gifts of pain really is like it focuses you. It, it tells you what really matters. You ever have something, moms, I know you're out here. You ever have something that tries to get into your family and all of a sudden you're like, oh no, this is not going to get into this family. We're going to keep this family together. It focuses you on what really matters. But if we cannot, if we can get into the cycle of, no, we don't, we don't, we don't, of course we enjoy the peaceful times, but it, we don't stop preparing. We don't stop preparing. We should not be praying and fasting and, and, all, and although we should be doing it, but not only in the seasons where things are great. We have to be working our muscles. We have to make sure that we're ready so we can respond and not have to react and panic because when we don't prepare, we panic. Now, I need to talk to you. I need you in the room. I need you in the room. Have you been preparing? And this is not to condemn anybody. I'm, I've been guilty of this plenty of times in my life. It's like there has to be a proactiveness to it. You know, I, I like running. 
I'm not crazy enough to climb a mountain, but I am crazy enough to run. And I remember when I was working on this, there was an example that came to my mind that, you know, anybody ever, any runners out here? Um, you, you, so for those of you who don't run, everybody's heard of kind of like the runner's high, like you get a runner's high. So the science behind that is that you burn off all the superficial energy first. In order to get to the runner's high, you have to burn off all the superficial energy first. And there is this time, every single time, that you're just like, I- I'm done, I'm walking. I'm going home, call my husband, he can pick me up. I want a pizza. <laughs> but I read this article one time that, listen, if you know, in this moment when you feel like, I can't do this anymore, you take inventory of all the things you've put inside of you. Because there's this point where you burn the superficial carbs and your body will switch and burn to the sustaining, the stuff that gives you the runner's high. But what you have to do first is take inventory of what you've put inside of you to prepare for the race. A lot of us are reacting so quick because we're burning through our superficial prayers, our superficial worship, our superficial so quick that then we began to panic. But if we stopped and we said, okay, you know what, Lord? I know that you said that greater is in me. I know that you said that if I look at this mountain and say move, that it will move. I know you're with me. I know those things we pull out that's already inside of us. I'm telling you there's a lot of mountains that won't look so big if we're proactive in it. Point number two, when we go down to verse 37, it says, And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to show grief and distress of mind and was deeply depressed. And my second point is you got to find your people. And I say in people, not person. (laughs) We need multiple people. There's different levels of friends. You know, there's some friends that I have, they're cool, but they don't really see the the deep and, you know, the sides. I mean, there's some that I reveal a little bit more, but I'm like, God, oh, they can't take it. And then there's those that get to see my crazy, like Stacy, and then invite me and give me a mic in my hand. And <laughs> But I, I want to, you have to find your people. You have to, some of us need to look at the people we're running with. You don't run with people you have nothing in common with. And I know that we are called to be a light in the world. We should not be only hanging around Christians. But I'm talking about the people that should be pouring into you. There are, if we're having issues in our marriage, you need to not reach out to your single friends, to one that, and this is no condemnation, but not the one that hasn't had successful relationships. You need to find somebody who's been married 51 years and say, how did you deal with this dude? <laughs> Before you ask, and before you ask somebody for advice, you got to look at them first and say, do I want to be in their position? You got to look, if you're calling people and the suggestion is, you know what? Yeah, I know he's tripping. Let's go to the club. You need to find somebody to call and ask a question to. (laughs) That is not the response that a mature person that's learned to be in relationships. You got to check your people. You have to have people around you that you pour into, yes. But you also have to have people that are on the same level. But then you have to have people that you're like, I want to be there. What did you do? Nobody gets to any level of success in relationships and business with their kids without going through mountains. How did you get there? How did you get there? You are selective about the people that you surround yourself and who's going to help you decide things. And I had to go through this too where I had to do some pruning. Some of them just ended up leaving me, ones that I I was shocked about. But I know that God was working through. It hurts. But some of us need to reestablish some solid godly friends. And you're not going to find them on Instagram. 
and you're not going to find them on Facebook. Got 17,000 friends. Why are we still, why are we still, we're talking about authenticity and all these other things. We've been so connected and disconnected at the same time. You need to get around people. This is why you join a small group. This is why you serve on a team. This is why you, you know what I mean? We have to come out from behind the screen all the time because it's a superficial connection. It's not a one-on-one connection. I want to see your tears. You want to see my tears. I know that we can get through this together. We can't do these superficial relationships and then wonder why we're in a stage of self-care and we're the most depressed we've ever been. We're in this age of self-care and authenticity and vulnerability and our suicide rates are through the roof. Something's missing. Something is missing. You know, and one of the things that I know I struggled with this for a long time, I had a lot of people stab me in the back early on and even up until recently. That I was just, you know, it brought on pain. And what it historically has done for me has pushed me into this. I don't need nobody. I don't trust anybody. I'm going to tell you right now, the enemy for years made me hate women. I just thought women were my enemy. I couldn't stand them. Now look at me. I love you all. I give you all a hug. But you know what? You know what struck me so uh, deep in this is that he, he looked at, he, so he chose two of his people to come with him. Like, hey, come away, come away with me. Jesus said, I need someone to come away with me. Jesus. Jesus. And he chose Peter, knowing that Peter was going to portray him. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me that that was an example that when you're vulnerable, it requires a risk. But it still doesn't mean that you don't take the risk. Yes, I know people are going to talk about you. They talk about me. There's things that I hear to this day that I'm like, I did what? (laughs) Who said that? Somebody last week at church was like, hey, I just heard this, this, and this. I was like, who would you hear that from? I didn't. Thank you for coming and talk to me. I have no idea what you're talking about. I know that there are people that are going to betray you. It doesn't mean you stop trying to find your people. It doesn't mean you stop it. Jesus chose Peter. He knew he was going to betray him. I really think that he was modeling. It's a risk. It's a risk. You'll get there, but you have to be willing to take a risk to connect. Take a risk to say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. I know that, that, that people, some people can't handle it. It doesn't mean you open up to everybody. You don't open up to everybody. You don't meet somebody and put it all on the table. No, there is a like, hey, I'm going to fill you out for a little bit. But at some point, there has to be a risk. There has to be a risk. You know, uh, in verse 38, sorry, I'm running out of time. In verse 38, it says, then he said to them, my soul is very sad and deeply grieved so that I am almost dying of sorrow. Stay here and keep awake and keep watch with me. My, number, my third point is you have to share your emotions and ask for help. You have to share your emotions. Don't let one more Christian tell you that you can't say that I'm depressed to the right people. Not the ones that's going to keep you in depression. Don't let Jesus said, he's talking, Jesus, guys, get this. He's talking to some of the people he leads. He's sharing his emotions. He's expressing it. He's saying, I'm so sad and I'm deeply grieved. He says with them, come with me and keep watch with me. Jesus said, this is how I'm feeling. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling depressed. I need your help. We can't do this alone. 
I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to express the things that I've gone through. I need your help. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. Come, come help me. Come keep watch with me. We need people in our life. My point number four is we have to express your emotions to God, your doubts, your fears. In verse 39, it says, in going a little farther, Father, he threw himself upon the ground on his face and prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, not what I desire, but as you will and desire. You express your, your, your emotions and how you feel to the people around you, but ultimately, you got to bring it back to God. He already knows what you're going through. I'm looking back, and sometimes I'm like, Emily, what were you thinking? Like, like I couldn't tell God what I would like. I don't want to tell him this is how I'm feeling. Like, he's God. He already knows. That you have to be able to say, Lord, like Jesus is crying out, saying, if it's possible, like, could you deliver me from this mountain? He comes back to his sentence and says, but whatever your will is, okay, I'm willing to push through the pain, but I just want to check that you didn't make a mistake. <laughs> You don't have to apologize to God for how you feel. Worship is a moment to process your emotions. You're not always going to get people. We're going to talk, talk about that at the next point. But you have to be able to feel what you feel and not shame yourself for being a bad Christian because you're struggling. You know, I, I was thinking about in Luke 22, 43 and 44, it says an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him in being in anguish. He prayed more earnestly, thank you, Jesus, that I can be in anguish and you can be strengthening me, but I'm still struggling. He was strengthened and struggling at the same time. Don't quit when you're struggling. It doesn't mean that God isn't strengthening you. He's working something out in you. Amen. Are you awake? Are we here? Um, number five is you have to allow yourself to be human. In verse 40, he, it says he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, what? <laughs> I love this. Are you so utterly unable to stay awake and keep watch with me for an hour? All of you must keep awake. Give strict attention. Be cautious. Be active. The spirit is, is willing, but the flesh is weak. He was like, he was frustrated. Jesus was frustrated. I'm like, thank you. Thank you. I'm allowed to be frustrated. <clears throat> He's saying, why aren't you waking up? Why aren't you waking up? you got to be patient with yourself. My next point ties into that, that first passage. And number six is people will fail you. You can have your group. You can choose your people. But I'm telling you right now, it's designed that way. Because if people were to meet all of our needs, they would become our God. So don't get upset the next time that maybe you reach out to that person that you know you love and you trust and they're not answering the phone. Is it possible that God's saying, um, you need to come to me? You need to come to me. So you have your people, but ultimately you realize you go to God. Everything comes from God. People are going to fail you. If you I, I wrote this down in the back. If you value a relationship in place of God, God has no choice but to interrupt the relationship. I know that there was a point in my life where Emmy, when he came out of prison, I called him Mr. Bible. He's still, like, he can memorize. He can, he can shout out 17 verses and, but forget to pick the kids up at two. <laughs> like, why are all the cabinet doors open, but you just quoted the entire chapter of Mar Matthew? But there was a time where I was intimidated because he knew so much more scripture for me. So there was a time early on in our marriage, I wouldn't pray. I would go to Emmy to pray. I didn't think I was 
qualified enough. So I'd go to Emmy and say, hey, can you pray for this? And then there was an interruption in our marriage. That's a whole other story. But God interrupted the relationship because he knew that Emmy became my God. I can't pray. I can't go to God. I can't. If you have to look at how much we're valuing relationships. When you can't reach someone, when somebody doesn't respond to your text, when you can't find someone, don't get so quick to get upset with them. Is God speaking to you? Have you gone to him? Is he trying to interrupt a relationship because your eyes have come off of him? It's designed that way. Moms, let me set you free right now. We make mistakes with our kids. I remember one time I was like so upset. I lost it with one of my kids and I, and I was just crying and beating myself up. And, and I just felt like the Holy Spirit comforted me. He said, Emily, they have to see the mistakes. The mistakes are a part of my plan. Doesn't mean that I don't aim to not make those mistakes. But our kids oftentimes look at us like a God. There comes a time where they have to see mom make a mistake every once in a while. They have to see dad because ultimately they can't just continue to come to you. They have to know him too. They need to interrupt dependency. Number seven, verse 45, this is my last point. Um, number seven is keep moving forward. And verse 45, it says, then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Behold, the hour is at hand and the son of God, uh, the son of man is betrayed into the hands, especially of wicked sinners whose way or nature is to act in opposition of God. Get up. Let us keep going. My betrayer is at hand. Even in your frustration and your struggle, even in the times that you don't know how God is going to deliver you out of this, you have to keep going. God said, he, he said, get up. He didn't wait to all of his feelings to align. He didn't say, oh, well, I just don't feel like it today. I'm frustrated. This isn't working out. No, he was like, in spite of this, I don't know what we're going to do, but we, I know we got to keep moving. Don't be so quick to retreat and, 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 and dial it back. You know, one of the things that, I, that I'd said to, um, Stacey, you can come out here. I'm sorry. I just broke the rule that I'm always talking to my husband about, about paying attention to the time. I'm going to have to go home and repent. But anyways, I was talking to uh, my friend, and, and this, this part really, really um, surprised me. I was telling her, I was like, Irene, what was the hardest part of cl climbing Mount Kilimanjaro? And she said, coming back down. She's like, oh, the pressure on your joints, man. She said, I've never experienced pain like that in my life. And I thought to myself, wow, isn't some of it? Because to me, I translate that in my, my, my head, my spirit, to that's the point where you're processing it. You're processing the hurts. You're processing, you're, you're coming down off of it. We look so hard at a target that we forget that there's a process, a pruning of relationships, a pruning. And she said, she said, I, I see her. She's like, it's not, I would, she told me I'll, I'll never climb the mountain again. She said, but it's not about the climb. It was what the process coming down, the pain, the pain of it. And I just thought to myself, you know, it's, it's a matter of, the target about how hard it is to get up there, but then there's a process. If you have repeated patterns in your life, if you have repeated patterns in your life of why you're attracting the same men, why you can't get out of debt, why you can't, there's, there's something there that hasn't been processed. We, we got to identify what's behind the thing. You know, and one of the things that we come to these conferences and we come to these times and we get filled and then what happens, we go out there and then, okay, we're good for like a day or two. 
And then we find ourselves like going to conferences to get that high, but we're not living it out. What is it? You have to prepare for the tension out there. In here, you get filled. Out there, you're going to want to hurt some people. (laughs) You got to prepare for the tension, right? 